0: Hey, Welcome to the Fusion ATL podcast. This is Pastor Vance. If you're not familiar with Fusion, we are the Young Adult Ministry for Victory World Church in Norcross, Georgia. We meet every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at Fusion ATL. I hope you enjoy this message and we look forward to seeing you soon. What's up, Fusion? Yeah. Y'all can do better than that. How are you feeling? Yeah. It's good to see you guys very good to see you guys. I'm excited about tonight. I don't know if you've noticed, but we got some things a little bit different. We are starting a new series tonight. I'm looking forward to jumping into it. This has been uh, something that God has been putting on my heart for months, like legit months. Kingdom. Talk about the kingdom. Talk about the kingdom. Talk about the kingdom. And I'm like, all right, God, what do you want to say about the kingdom? And over these past few months, God has just been revealing something to me that's changed my life. And I wanna share that with you guys over these next few weeks. So for all of October, we will be in a series called Kingdom. You guys interested? Well, the kingdom of God was mentioned, depending on what translation you're looking at, over 120 times in the gospels alone. Jesus talked about the kingdom a lot. I started realizing this and started realizing that I don't really know a lot about kingdoms because it's so far removed from the society we live in, the culture we're used to. We don't really understand it that well. So when we're reading scripture and Jesus is constantly saying the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, we don't fully grasp what he's saying, but he was talking to people who. Very well understood that. And he established this concept of a kingdom all throughout Scripture. And so this has been a studying journey. We talked about the Holy Spirit for a few weeks, all through well, really all through August and September. Uh, We talked about being holy and being set apart. We talked about God's plan. We talked about the Holy Spirit being a person. We've had a lot of aha moments. I don't know, have you? I feel like we've had a lot of aha moments. I feel like we've had a lot of revelation given given to us by God. I feel like in August and September, Jesus was really setting the stage for us to understand how to interact with him, how to engage with him on a certain level, talking about the Holy Spirit and how to engage with the Holy Spirit who's with us day by day. And now I feel like God wants to reveal himself in another way for another level. You guys ready for that? All right, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in. Lord, we thank you for being here. Lord, we thank you for sending this message from heaven. Lord, I thank you for drawing every heart here that you wanted here tonight, Lord. I thank you that nobody's here by coincidence. Lord, I don't know who is in the room. Lord, I don't know who you had this message for, but I know it's for somebody. Lord, I thank you that you are revealing your heart. You are revealing your person. You are revealing who you are to us. So help us to understand. Help us to understand and have wisdom Moving forward, Lord, let this set root and take root in our heart. Lord, let me decrease as you increase. Speak through me and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So we talked about, a few weeks ago, we talked about holiness. And we're diving into some of these words that a lot of us have heard in church for a lot of years and that don't necessarily resonate with us a lot. But we talked about holiness meaning being uncommon. You guys remember that? being uncommon, being set apart, Uh, walking with Jesus, being a lifestyle that's different than the lifestyle you live outside of Jesus. And so as I was studying, I just felt compelled to study some history on the church uh, and some history on Christians. And I I came across some stuff that was just super moving about the time period of Jesus. Uh, And I came across some writings that are not in the Bible, but are history, historical documents about the movement that Jesus created. So when we're in here, we're gathering, we're talking about Jesus, we're not just talking about some stories that some people made up. We're not just talking about fairy tales, we're not talking about myths, we are talking about real things that really happened and are really happening. We believe that God is alive I don't know, do you guys believe that God is alive? Okay, I think we believe, I know I believe that God is alive. Maybe I spoke too soon, but I think we believe that God is alive, right? And of all the gods you hear about through history, of all the religions you hear about, there's just a difference when it comes to Jesus, because his movement is one like no other. And they saw that early on, right after the time period of him getting crucified and and resurrecting. And I want to read some things that I ran into. So the Roman historian Tacitus, say Tacitus. All right, there we go. (laughs) Writing in about 115 AD records the events surrounding Emperor Nero in July of AD 64. After a fire that destroyed much of Rome, the emperor Nero was blamed for it. And so he decided to shift the blame to this upcoming group of people. And so the historian says, consequently, to get rid of the report about him being to blame, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christ, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty. Talking about crucifixion. Again, this is not a myth. This is a historian documented some, documenting something that happened. Christ suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our pure procurators, Pontius Pilate. And the most mischievous superstition, Christ's resurrection thus checked for the moment, again broke out, not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. So this is just documenting this movement that's happening, this emperor, he gets blamed for this fire that's destroying all of Rome, and he just shifts the blame to the Christians. And they're being tortured, And this is going on all over the place. Jesus said that they would be persecuted. He said that we would be persecuted for our faith. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted in my name. They knew that this was coming and history is saying that it actually happened. Roman governor of what is now Turkey writes to Emperor Trajan regarding Christians in his district. So this guy is writing to another emperor about how to deal with the Christians that are in his district in Rome. He says, I was never present at any trial of Christians. Therefore, I do not know what are the customary penalties or investigations and what limits are observed, whether those who recant should be pardoned, whether the name itself, even if innocent of crime, should be punished, or only the crimes attaching to that name. He's trying to figure it out. How do we persecute these people? Meanwhile, this is the course that I have adopted in the case of those brought before me as Christians. I ask them if they are Christians. If they admit it, I repeat the question a second and a third time, threatening capital punishment. If they persist, I sentence them to death. For I do not doubt that whatever kind of crime it may be to which they have confessed, their pertinacity and inflexible obstinacy should certainly be punished. What he's saying is, regardless of the crime, just the fact that they won't move, the fact that they won't flex, the fact that they won't deny Jesus Christ should be punished. The very fact of my dealing with the question led to a wider spread of the charge, and a great variety of cases were brought before me. An anonymous pamphlet was issued containing many names. All who denied that they were or had been Christians I considered should be discharged because they called upon the gods at my dictation and did reverence, and especially because they cursed Christ, a thing which it is said genuine Christians cannot be induced to do. So this was a movement. So much so that they're trying to contain it by torturing people just to get them to deny Jesus Christ. And this is, I mean, these are people who were alive when Jesus was alive. This is not, hey, this is not hundreds of years removed. This is like 30 years removed. And then another 30 years. So we're seeing a movement taking place based on, people who were actually around to see the events take place. So people who were around when Jesus was alive, this, was not a, this wasn't a debate about whether Jesus existed or not. This is just real. We know Jesus existed. We know that he caused this movement. We know that he was crucified, and we know that he was seen resurrected, so much so that it caused this movement of people who would not deny his name. So what were these people willing to give their lives for? Was it that Jesus came and announced a new religion? Did Jesus come and announce a new coping mechanism for the challenges that we face in life? Did he come and announce just a new spiritual path, a new option for us to pat ourselves on the back for and just to feel better about the life we're going through? Well, based on what we know about what Jesus said, the answer to that is no. Let's take a look at what Jesus came and announced. In Mark 1:15. the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus did not come and announce a new religion. Jesus did not come and announce a new philosophy. Jesus did not just bring a new rule book. Jesus came and announced a kingdom invading. And if we don't understand this concept, we will have a misconception about what following Jesus is about because Jesus led the conversation with kingdom, not religion. The definition of a kingdom is a territory ruled by a king or queen, and even the dictionary has the second definition as the spiritual reign or authority of God, because everybody knows who the king is. Do you? Psalm 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. A territory ruled by a king. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Say everything. 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 The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. So I would say Jesus did not come to establish a religion called Christianity. He came to establish his kingdom on the earth. That's what he came to do. And a kingdom is very different than what we understand government to be. It's ruled by a king, not by the people. He's not taking votes on his laws. But a kingdom is ruled by a king. And so I was thinking through this. I was praying, saying, God, what is a way that we can understand what you're doing by invading and what the purpose of it is? And and I was reminded, growing up, I grew up in Long Island, New York. My parents are actually in the building and my grandmother. Can we... here for the uh, one year anniversary. They came and surprised me. Thank you. And they came here to Atlanta, brought us with them from Long Island, New York. My parents are from Long Island and I'm from Long Island and I lived in Long Island until I was 15. Growing up there, there was this place in New York specifically in New York city that just had a terrible reputation. Some of you guys might be from there, so this is not a dig. I'm just letting you know what my experience was and what my perspective was growing up when I heard about Brooklyn. Anybody from Brooklyn? Okay. So you guys know Brooklyn has had an interesting reputation in society. And growing up, Brooklyn had this reputation. I hadn't been there as a kid but there was just this reputation of like, the impression that I had is if I arrived in Brooklyn, I would run into a violent situation. <laughs> it was like, if you show up there, you will be in trouble. And just growing up, I remember like, not even wanting to go to the city like that. Cause it's like, yo, I don't even know what colors to wear. Every color's taken by a gang. <laughs> Every color is taken. And I'm not with any of them, but I've got to put clothes on. I don't know what to do. I'm just not going to go. <laughs> and it just had this, this terrible reputation. And much of it was accurate. <laughs> the interesting thing is, though, right now, uh, there's a process called gentrification, if you guys are familiar with it. And Brooklyn is like the number one most gentrified place in America. Gentrification is the process of repairing and rebuilding homes and businesses in a deteriorating area, such as an urban neighborhood, accompanied by an influx of middle-class or affluent people. And that often results in the displacement of earlier, usually poorer residents. And it's interesting because now if you go to Brooklyn, first of all, everybody that I know that moves to New York, they live in Brooklyn. Everybody, it's like, it's it's. I wouldn't say it's affordable, cause there's nowhere in New York that's affordable. But it's like, I guess the most affordable place in the city. I don't know. I, 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 yeah. So anyway, people go and they move there. So clearly, it's better. There's like froyo spots and brunch spots. It's just different now. Brooklyn is like the place. All the Airbnbs are in Brooklyn. It's just changed and governments and and large companies and corporate like they come in and they make these changes to improve an area. And a lot of, we see that it has a lot of negative effects on people who are from those areas and may not be able to afford the changes. And it causes displacement in some cases, not as much as you might hear, It's, it's about 1%. I looked up the statistics. So, but the difference is when people do it, People come in and they gentrify a place for profit. But Jesus showed up on earth and said, the time has come. The kingdom has come near. And Jesus came to gentrify some things. He came to repair, rebuild, change the atmosphere. He came to change some things. And so we understand Jesus came to change some things on the earth. His kingdom would come in, it would invade, it would gentrify the place. That's really what the goal is. He didn't come to just show up and talk. He came to come and change things. This place is deteriorated into sin, and the effects of sin are destructive. People are struggling. God has seen our struggles from heaven and decided to come and intervene. Step in, fix some things, repair some things. Interesting that Jesus' occupation was a carpenter known for building. He knew what it was like to repair, to build. You know, the term is tecton. It could mean stonemason, but it, it, he's, he's a builder. A little extra Bible. But what does the arrival of the kingdom on earth mean for us? That's the question, because we could talk about gentrification, we could talk about the arrival of the kingdom and the arrival of the king, but what does that mean for us? I would say number one, the arrival of the kingdom is good news. The arrival of the kingdom is good news. Jesus said in Luke 4.18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So he came to eradicate some things. He came to eradicate the negativity that we had fallen into, the sin that we had fallen into, the shame, the guilt, and all of the effects of those things that we had fallen into. Because when Jesus shows up, things can't stay the same and the kingdom has arrived to gentrify, to change what's taking place in this environment, to rebuild and to repair. And he says what that looks like is freedom for the prisoners. Well, you say, well, who's a prisoner? Well, that's what people asked him. And he said, anyone who sins is a slave to sin, but who the sun sets free is free indeed. And so anybody who's ever been wrapped up in sin, I don't know if you have, but Jesus came to set you free from that. And he thought that it was a big enough deal that he left heaven, showed up, announced the arrival of the kingdom, and wants to change the whole place just so you could have a better life. Recovery of sight for the blind. Set the oppressed free. This is what his rebuilding process looks like. It's taking place in here. So the arrival of the kingdom of God is good news for us. It is the arrival of our hope. For all of us who live our lives just trying to make it. Just trying to get to the next day. So many of us have just this 70 or 80 year perspective And Jesus has a much larger perspective than that recovery of sight to the blind. We can't even see what we're supposed to see because we don't even have an eternal perspective, but Jesus stepped out of eternity into our timeline to bring us into eternity, recovery of sight for the blind, us being able to see the bigger picture. Jesus wants you to be able to see the bigger picture, not just see the day-to-day struggles, not just see the the day-to-day triumphs or or achievements and successes that you have. There's nothing wrong with those things. But if your perspective is only on the day-to-day, you're blind and you're not able to see what Jesus really wants you to see. And that's why the arrival of the kingdom is good news because it's an eternal kingdom. It was established At the foundations of the earth, God's kingdom has always been here. Even before the earth was created, He's always had territory that belonged to Him because everything that He created belongs to Him. So the arrival of the kingdom is good news. And it is good because God is there and God is good. Right? Okay. God is good. Y'all be hype all the time. All right, there we go. So as we're talking about this reparation process, this rebuilding process, this changing process, this gentrification process that Jesus wants to do on an eternal level, we have to understand that it's a good thing because Jesus wants to make his dwelling among us. Emmanuel is what his name was prophesied to be, Emmanuel, God with, God with us. God wants to be with us, but God's not going to come to some broke down, beat down place and leave it the way that it is. And so as we've deteriorated into a state that's much lesser than what he's intended for us, God wants to restore us, rebuild us, and that takes place on a heart level, We see all throughout scripture, Isaiah 57 says, for this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. That's God's heart. He lives in a high and holy place and with us even in our lowest place here to revive us when we're lowly, when we're suffering. Exodus 33:14. the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. When God shows up, when his presence is here, he gives us rest. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Second Corinthians says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is. freedom. This is what God came to bring. This is what the arrival of the kingdom is about. The arrival of these things, God dwelling with us, repairing us, restoring us back to the place where we're supposed to be, revived, rested, having fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore, and freedom wherever he is. So the invasion of God's kingdom fixes all that is broken and makes all that is wrong right again. Two other results of the arrival of the kingdom that we see. We see Jesus arrive, proclaim the gospel. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. This is the good news. Repent and believe. And you can participate in this. You can come to me, you can follow me. And then what we see him demonstrate as the arrival of the kingdom, two of the major things that we see Jesus demonstrate as the arrival of the kingdom. We, we say it as miracles, but miracles are just things that take place outside of the laws of nature. The kingdom of God takes place outside of the laws of nature. And his arrival is not bound to the laws of nature. He's come to change things. And so Luke ten nine, he said, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Did he tell them heal the sick and tell them a new religion has come near to you? Did he say heal the sick and tell them that a new rule book has come near to you? He said, heal the sick and tell them so that they understand what's happening. When sick people are getting healed, this is what's happening. The kingdom of God is near. Because there are things that take place up here that change what takes place down here. And so in the kingdom of God, there's no sickness. There's no brokenness. And that's why when he comes near, he's gotta gentrify that stuff. He's gotta repair that stuff. He's got to rebuild that stuff. And that's why we can have faith that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. We can have faith for healing because the kingdom of God is what's coming near. When he says pray, he says, pray this way. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom kingdom come. Why? Because of this. To fix what's broken here, to fix what's broken in our lives, let your kingdom come. Luke 11:20 says, he, Jesus says, "If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom. kingdom of God has come upon you." Freedom from oppression, these are two of the major things that we see Jesus come and fix because when the kingdom arrives, he fixes what is broken and what is wrong is made right. We are not supposed to live our lives oppressed. And a lot of times we think just this is our natural state. We think that we just have anxiety. We think that we just have depression. We think that we just have sickness. And many of those cases, some of those things are physical, but some of those things are spiritual. And we just have no idea, but Jesus is saying, when the kingdom comes near, there's freedom from oppression and he's driving out demons. Do you think that demons just like left the earth when Jesus left? They were all over the place when he was walking around. He was driving out demons all the time. Where do you think that they went? You think they're just like overseas somewhere? No, they're around all the time. Talking to you, talking to your coworkers, talking to the people driving on the road. You know, we talk about traffic here. <laughs> but there are spiritual things taking place all the time. And Jesus wants us to know how to address what's actually taking place here driving out demons by the finger of God because the kingdom has come near and Jesus says that we can pray your kingdom come. Means you can have faith to drive out this stuff that's oppressing you. When you're feeling fear just come on you randomly. I can drive out the spirit of fear in the name of Jesus and it has to leave, why? Because it's subject to the king. There's an authority that takes place in the name of Jesus. He says, I've been given all authority on earth and on heaven and in heaven, all authority. And a lot of us don't grasp the importance of that and so we beg for healing. But Jesus is saying, I've been given all authority on earth and in heaven. And then he said to the disciples, I'm giving you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. You have authority over the power. Why? Because you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. When you receive Jesus Christ, you are not just receiving chills. You are receiving an inheritance, is what the Bible says. And part of your inheritance is freedom from the things that try to oppress you. You have no power in and of yourself over demonic oppression, but Jesus does, and the Holy Spirit does, and when he's living in you, and he's dwelling in you, and you have access to his name, you can drive these things out. By the name of Jesus, sickness, you have to leave in the name of Jesus. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is here. So when Jesus said the time has come, this is what he was talking about. The time has come for sickness to be driven out. The time has come for depression to be driven out. The time has come for anxiety to be driven out. The time has come for broken things and broken people to be fixed. The kingdom of of heaven has come near. Repent, which means change the way that you think, and believe. This is something that's received by faith. And as a citizen of the kingdom, you have a right to the promises of the king. This is something he's given you freely. As a citizen of his kingdom, we understand sonship. And a lot of times we talk about sonship and it's very, very important. We're adopted into the family of God and we are called sons and daughters of God, but you have sonship and you have citizenship. But one of the biggest challenges that we face with the reality of God's kingdom is that it is contrary to the culture most of us have grown up in. And so this is what Jesus is saying he wants to bring to us, freedom, healing, good things. But it comes with lordship. The king is Lord. The king rules. The king reigns. And that's a good thing because Jesus has nothing but good in store. But he has to be Lord. These are things that are difficult for us to understand because most of us, raise your hand if you've grown up in a democracy. Some of y'all are like, oh, I don't know. (laughs) You probably have. Most of you probably have not grown up in a kingdom or an oligarchy, social studies. But most of us have grown up in a democracy, especially if you've grown up in America. And there's a guy who came from France to study American democracy in the 1830s, and he wrote a book about democracy in America. It's, It's called democracy in America, and and it's astounding because so many of the principles that he was talking about that reflect our culture 200 years ago are still very true today. The American view has been characterized by several familiar elements. Liberty, most people believe in the right to be free as long as another's rights aren't abused. Equality, this generally translates as equality of opportunity, not absolute equality. Democracy, elected officials are accountable to the people. Citizens have the responsibility to choose their officials thoughtfully and wisely. Individualism, the individual's rights are valued above those of the government. Individual initiative and responsibility are strongly encouraged. The rule of law. Government is based on a body of law applied equally and fairly, not on the whims of a ruler. Nationalism. Most Americans are proud of our past and tend to de-emphasize problems such as intolerance or military setbacks. This value includes the belief that we are stronger and more virtuous than other nations. Capitalism. At the heart of the American dream, are beliefs in the rights to own private property and compete freely in open markets. With as little government involvement as possible. We wanna run things, is pretty much what this is saying, and we enjoy the freedom to be able to run things. We enjoy the freedom to be able to make our own rules and decide what's good and what's not good. Like, yes, let's have equality, but not absolute equality. Let's not have everybody be equal, because that doesn't serve us. Capitalism. <laughs> the American dream individualism, the individual's rights are valued above those of the government. Do your own thing is our idea. But there's a contrast between this and a kingdom and especially a biblical kingdom. And if you read the Bible, there are some imagery, there's some imagery, some visuals, some descriptions of what the kingdom of heaven is like and what we are inevitably going to run into and inevitably going to encounter, that will arrest you. Daniel 7, Daniel has this vision. I'm gonna just read it to you. As I looked, thrones were set in place and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man, meaning one like a human, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed." Daniel saw this vision in 555 B.C. The court was seated, the books were open, and then one like a son of man approached God the Father and was given an everlasting kingdom. Jesus mentioned this prophecy several times in Scripture and referred to uh, himself frequently as the son of, say it if you know it, The son of man. Why? Because he's saying this prophecy that you see, this crazy visual that you're seeing coming on the clouds of heaven, ancient of days taking his seat, river of fire, throne flaming with fire, one like a son of man approaching, being seated at the right hand. That's about me. That's what Jesus is saying. There's a kingdom coming. In Mark 14, 61 and 62, Jesus is about to be crucified. He's on trial. Says again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. You can clap for Jesus. So point two, the arrival of the kingdom is good news. Point two is we have to choose a side. We have to choose that kingdom. Jesus already chose us. The most important decision we make in our entire lives is whether we choose him. Cause what he's saying is this will happen. The same Jesus that showed up that we saw historically documented that we saw people dying for 2000 years ago who died himself and then was resurrected out of the grave said, this is not the end of the story. This is the beginning. The time has come. What Daniel saw 500 years ago what he was saying what Daniel saw 500 years ago, that time has come. I've arrived. This is the beginning and you will see the son of man, coming on the clouds of heaven. He says in Matthew 10, 32 and 34, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. There's another place in the Bible that talks about the sword. It talks about the word of God being a sword that divides between soul and spirit, and Jesus came, he showed up, he announced the arrival of the kingdom, and what many of the people who he was around, they all knew the Bible. There was a piece of it that they didn't understand, and so they they knew about the coming of a king, They knew about the coming of a Messiah, but what they did not know is what needed to take place, the price that needed to be paid for that gentrification process to take place. They didn't understand the price that needed to be paid for that kingdom to be fully consummated. Because the reality was, man, the kingdom of God could come, but if you have no price to pay for your sin, you can't be in it. And so Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe. And then he allowed himself to be crucified, to pay the price, to pay the penalty for our sins, to to pay the penalty for what was dividing us from God, what was standing in between us and God. And so now when our sins were before what stood between us and God, now there's a cross that stands between us and God. And then one that we can receive freely if we just believe, but what you do with the cross of Jesus Christ determines everything about your eternity. And the key to the kingdom of God, the key to these pearly gates, the key to this city with rivers, uh, of crystal clear water and roads paved with gold. The key to the kingdom of God is a rugged, bloody cross. Philippians 3.18 says, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. Salvation is available for all people. Salvation is available for you. The kingdom of God has arrived. The time has come. It's here. Jesus showed up 2000 years ago and announced its arrival and we've seen the effects of it. We've seen the evidence of it. And you've probably heard about salvation in the past. Many of us are saved. Some of us are not. Most of us have heard about the term salvation that comes with Christ. But we have to understand that salvation is not just the forgiveness of sins. For salvation is the forgiveness of sins, but it's the forgiveness of sins so that you can enter the kingdom of heaven. Yes. <laughs> salvation is entrance into a kingdom that will never fade, that will never perish. It means there's stuff to do when you get there. It's just the beginning. Jesus said, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? And many of us don't know what a cornerstone is, but a cornerstone determines everything about the foundation of the building. And so he says that we're all building something. We're all building our lives. And he's saying that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That means... Many people who are building their lives have built with every material except for the one that they need. We've built our lives on success. We've built our lives on seeking after fame, wanting to glow in our talents, wanting to glow in our successes. And Jesus is saying, I have success for you. I have significance for you. I have peace for you. I have rest for you. I have revival for you. I have fullness of joy for you. It's all available for you but you gotta have this salvation piece. This price that I've paid for you to enter into this kingdom has to be paid and I've already paid it. It's up to you to receive it. And we're gonna talk later on in this series about what to do when you step into the kingdom and what to do when you're in there. But I know inevitably there are some people in here tonight who have not made that decision. There are some people in this, in here tonight who made that decision and didn't realize the decision that they were making that we were stepping into a kingdom that the price being paid for our sins was not just so we could go on living life as usual with our sins forgiven. Jesus is saying there's a whole nother life available for you. Entrance into the kingdom work. The culture is different and you are a citizen of heaven and you should reflect your home. Your culture should be the culture of where your citizenship is. Your life should be different. Many of us stop right here at the cross and say, okay, we'll receive this, and we never step past it into the pearly gates. And Jesus is saying, don't wait for you to die and enter into heaven. He says, when you have him, you have eternal life. He says the kingdom of God has come near to you. He's not waiting for you to die for you to be able to experience the kingdom, for you to be able to experience the healing, the wholeness, the purpose that is with him in his kingdom. He says in Revelation 22, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. But outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Jesus is saying, you don't have to live like that. I've come and paid every price that needs to be paid for you to have freedom from oppression, for you to not be a slave to your sin. All the things that he just listed are sins. And he's saying he who sins is a slave to sin, but who the son sets free is free indeed. You don't run into Jesus and not get set free. But that's what he's coming for. There's freedom in the kingdom. There's freedom available for you. He says in Revelation three twenty, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them. To the one and they with me, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. So Jesus said, you'll see the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven being seated at the right hand of the mighty one. And then he said, just like I'm going to sit next to my father, I'm going to give you a seat next to me. And that's what I came for. This kingdom did not come to invade and kick you out. Cuz that's a lot of times a problem we see with gentrification. Oh, everything gets fixed, but the people who were there, they got nowhere to go and they get displaced. Jesus is saying, man, when I come, when I show up, I'm repairing, I'm rebuilding, and I'm paying your rent so you can stay here. So as we're closing, we see, man, Jesus came not to announce a religion. He came to announce a kingdom. That's good news for us but we have to choose a side. We're on one side or the other of the cross. So either we say we can pay the price for our sins. I can pay the price for my sin, which is death. Or you say, Jesus, I received the price that you paid. I thank you that you are the king who not only sits on the throne, but you want to sit at my dinner table. That you sit on the throne and you want to give me one next to you. But this comes entering the kingdom is about establishing him as king. And so if you're in here tonight and you're saying, I want to make that decision. I believe that Jesus is king. I believe he's coming with a kingdom. I believe that I will see him coming on the clouds of heaven as seated at the right hand of the mighty one on that throne with flames of fire. The one who's going to judge everybody according to what they've done, but the one who's paid so that we don't have to be judged for our sin. I'm going to be on the side of the cross that's received what the cross came for. If you're saying that's you tonight, if you're saying that's you tonight, I want you to raise your hand. Jesus said, whoever acknowledges me on earth, I will acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever denies me in public, I'll deny before my father in heaven. You have a family here. I've raised my hand and I've said, I want Jesus to be my king. I'm laying down my life. I'm laying down how I used to do things. I'm laying it all down. I want Jesus to be my king. Hands going up all over the place. If you wanna make that decision, yeah, Hold your hand up. Don't be ashamed. This is the most important decision you can ever make in your entire life. The trajectory of your life hangs on this one moment. This could be a turning point. This could be you stepping into those gates. Saying the time has come. I'm stepping into the kingdom. There's hands going up everywhere. Don't wait. The time has come. Jesus showed up, he's paid the price for you to have everything that you've been looking for. You've been looking for healing. You've been looking for peace. You've been looking for comfort. There's nowhere to find it outside of him. If you're making that decision, I know some of you guys are probably tired of holding your hand up, shoulder getting tired. But I want you to take one more step. On the count of three, I want you to stand up. On the count of three, and I want everybody in this place to go wild for everybody who's standing up. Why? Because heaven is going wild. So if you made that decision, I want you standing up in one, two, three. standing. I want to pray a prayer with you. No, stay standing. Stay standing. This is your moment. This is your moment. Don't back down. This is your moment. You are stepping into an inheritance that will never fade, that will never perish. What you've been looking for, you've found. This is your moment. you to pray this prayer with me from your heart and everyone in here who believes is going to pray along with you. Jesus, Jesus, I believe believe. that you are the son of God, God. that you came to earth earth, and you paid the price price. for my sins. I I believe that you resurrected and showed your power over death I receive the price that you've paid for my sins. And I choose to turn from my old way of life, from my old way of thinking, and from trying to build a kingdom for myself. I establish you as king. In my life, King King. in my heart, King King of this world, I will follow you forever as I step into eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. We're so glad to have you as a part of our community. If you want to get connected any further, please visit FusionATL.org. You can get plugged into a small group there, and you can also send in a prayer request so that we can pray for you. Once again, thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of Fusion ATL.